the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. You know, a hundred years makes a big difference. It sure did in the life of Nineveh. Earlier, we studied about Jonah and him going to Nineveh, and he preached and listened to their response. Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would do and bring on them, and he did not do it. One hundred years later, there was this prophet named Nahum, and he preached and listened again at what was said concerning them. And uh, you'll find it. It says, you're empty, you're desolate, your heart melts. And then in verse 13, chapter 2, behold, I am against you, says Lord of hosts. I'll burn your chariots in smoke and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth and the voice of your messenger shall be heard no more. Again, they repented and it took a hundred years for them to get back where they were, and so the judgment finally came. This is Bert Harper along with Dr. Alex McFarland, and we're going through a study called Prophets, Kings, and Kingdoms, and today we're with the prophet Nahum. Alex, it's a three short chapters, but it is a declaration of judgment on that city of Nineveh. It was a grave judgment, wasn't it? Well, it really was, and Bert, it sure is good to be with you today. Verse 2 of Nahum chapter 1, God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. Now, verse 3, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. You know, Bert, even just these first three verses of chapter 1, there's some famous words, some really well-known imagery, but um, the jealous God of vengeance on his adversaries, you don't really hear this kind of preaching much nowadays, do you? Well, you do not, and uh, jealous has to be one of those words. He's jealous for you, and not not in any way for greed or anger, but he's jealous for us and jealous for people. And But he is, I love verse 3, he's slow to anger, but he's great in power. And uh, so his holiness and his love, Alex, they do meet. They met at the cross and uh, where yes. we could be made right with God. But when you are on your own and you're living your life, whether it's a country, an individual, they're going their way, there will be that vengeance of the Lord. Uh, they say, oh, that doesn't sound like God. Remember Jesus overturning the tables in the temple? Uh, yeah, there is a time of, of, rec- of looking at it and coming to reconcile with the reality, the God that we serve, Alex. Mm-hmm. Well, do you know what uh, is very interesting? Um, Bert, am I right on this? The, the only time the word Nahum appears in the Bible is in this first verse of the first chapter. Uh, the vision of Nahum the Elkoshite. Now, there was a town called Elkosh, 
and I-T-E-I-T means that you're a person of this area. So he was an Elkishite. And it's interesting that this is the region of Galilee that would later be known as Capernaum. And in fact, Capernaum was really named after uh, Nahum. Capernaum, Capernaum is the city of Nahum. And his, his name means comfort or the comfort of God. But um, even though there's some harsh language about, about judgment, it's all about the, the comfort of God because he is a merciful Savior, isn't he? He is. And Nahum, you think about that, that's short for Nehemiah. And uh, there yes. was a lot of the Elkosh, and it had some other possibilities. But I agree with you, the most likely one is Capernaum. There's some other places. It is not a well. In other words, there's not a place known as that now. It had to change its name. But we have a, a kind of a prophet. only thing we know about him is right here, and he wrote this book. We don't know much about where he came from. But notice the two words that describe his calling, a burden and a vision. A burden is one that just brings sorrow. It's a difficult so this was not a, oh, boy, I get to deliver this message of judgment. Uh, and it was right, a vision right. of what God was going to do and help Judah. And uh, uh, at that time, Nineveh, Assyria, was their greatest enemy, their greatest threat. Assyria uh, had already destroyed the northern kingdom, and Judah knew that the possibility was they were in the waiting. God had already stopped them one time. And when this became a burden that he would deliver this message, but a vision of what God wanted. Now, Alex, I, I took that, and that's a great way to look at preaching. We should have a burden to deliver the word of God that, yes, it is judgment and it does come, but we also need to have that vision of what God can do to restore and help and strengthen. And, and I pray that in my preaching and teaching, that I'd have that kind of burden and that kind of vision. You know, I, I think that says well, exactly. something for Nahum. Yeah, I do as well. Well, well, yes, and always we need to understand that even in judgment and even in rebuke, God acts redemptively. He did in the nation of Israel. He will do that in the lives of people. Now, uh, I like the questions and then the answers, like verse 6. Who can stand before his indignation who can abide in the fierceness of his anger his fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him and verse 5 it talked about how the mountains quake but listen to verse 7 the lord is good a stronghold in the day of trouble and he knoweth them that trust in him amen bert i mean that that says it all and let me just say this folks today it's a you know pretty um (laughs) Unusual time in world history, it really is. Politically, morally, there's a lot going on in the world. A lot of people are concerned, understandably so. But the Lord knows those who trust in him. And if you're a believer and you belong to Christ, he knows your name and he is with you. Bert, that's a comfort. (laughs) It is. Verse 7 stands out. I, I was picking out the verses that really demonstrate God. In chapter 1, verse 7 is one of those. Again, this is the promise while he's proclaiming the judgment on Nineveh, he's given the hope to Judah, which is his people, those who are trusting in him. And, and notice, it, it switches in verse 9, what do you conspire against the Lord? Now, I just, just asking about the question, how foolish for anyone or 
any group of people to try to conspire against God. You know, oh, we're going to overcome mm, God? No, he, it will not happen. Notice what he says. He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. Uh, again, tangle thorns, uh, drunken in the street, stubble, dried. Uh, you know, the plots, listen at verse 11. From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord. Alex, how foolish, you know? Mm. And it seems like that's going on today. People are trying to go against God's word and against God's purpose. Well, you know what? Um, the, the foolishness of man to try to avoid the issue of God and where you stand with God, don't be so foolish. Don't procrastinate or put it off. Several weeks back, I talked about one of the most interesting stories I heard, and it was just so fascinating. I thought maybe it might be like an urban legend, but it turned out to be absolutely true. In Pennsylvania, in the mid-19th century, there was a man named Richard Slyhoff, L-S-L-Y-H-O-F-F. Now, I thought that this might just be one of those preacher stories, but it's actually on the the webpage of the state of Pennsylvania, the Travel and Tourism Bureau Bureau of the state of Pennsylvania. This man was uh, uh, chased women, drank. He was just uh, a, a hellion. And he realized he was getting old, and he didn't want to have to face God on the judgment day. And there was this rock leaning over, and he had heard some preachers say that there would be earthquakes. So he left instructions, Richard Slyhoff did, that when he was uh, to be buried, he would be buried as much as possible up under this leaning rock. And then when that rock would fall, God couldn't get him on judgment day. Now, Bert, isn't this foolish? (laughs) Now, um, and this is just crazy, but so they did that, and they said when he was buried that the workers had to really get on hands and knees, and they put his coffin up under this leaning rock. Well, over the last 150 years, not only did the rock not fall down on the ground and protect his gravesite, the rock over the years has moved away and is now like three feet away, and there's the tombstone on the Pennsylvania Tourism website. People go there. The man who tried to cheat God and death. And that that's an interesting footnote on history, but very sad. Let me say this. Hebrews 9.27 says it is appointed unto man once to die. Everybody will stand before God one day. But you can be prepared. You can be absolutely ready by putting your faith in Jesus. And like verse 7 says, he is that stronghold, that sanctuary of safety, in the day of trouble, and in the day of judgment. And that trouble day will come. That judgment day will come. It's not if, it is when, and you want to be ready. And not like Nineveh, uh, God's judgment on them, they were conspiring against God, and that story, Alex, And they would never be rebuilt. Yeah, yeah, never. And that story you said just made me think of Jonah trying to run from God. Who can? And if there's someone out there, listening today, and you're trying to get away from the presence of God, you cannot. You can turn him away. You can say no to him, but he is going to one day, uh, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess uh, that he is Lord. The whole issue is where will you do it? Will you do it in life or will you do it after life at a point in hell where it's too late? The rich man realized that and realized it too late in the story that Jesus shared But, Alex, again, as you said, verse 14, 
the Lord has given you a command, given a command concerning you. Listen to this. Your name shall not be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods, I will cut off the, uh, the carved image and the molded image. I will dig your grave for your vile. Behold on the mountains. Now, that's, that's to Nineveh. But listen how the contrast starts in verse 15. Behold the mountains, the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace, O Judah. Keep your appointed feasts, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Now, I wanted to bring that up and bring that contrast in. The judgment that's coming to one, Nineveh, but the hope that's coming to the other, Judah. Alex, uh, we want to put our hope in the Lord. And you do that by trusting him. You don't do that by going your own way and conspiring against God, do you? No, you really don't. Um, The wisest thing you'll ever do, and in fact the most empowering thing you'll ever do for yourself, is to give your life over to God. Now, it talked in in verse 8 about an overrunning flood that would make an end of the place, and there was a flood, and uh, it's interesting, one of the walls of Nineveh was, was broken down because of this big flood. The Tigris River flooded, and Babylonians plundered the city after that. Uh, but I love this in, in uh, verse 15. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him that brings good tidings, that publishes peace. So Judah, keep thy solemn feast, perform thy vows, for the wicked shall no more pass through thee. He is utterly cut off. Bert, such a small book, but so many famous phrases and images. The good tidings and the feet on the mountaintops. Uh, it, it's near and dear to our hearts, isn't it? It's good tidings of great joy. And we're going to continue yeah. this in Nahum right after the break. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Christy Abazade, Director of the National Counterterrorism Center. Her office is responsible for national and international terrorism efforts. Psalm 34-7 reminds us of the protection God provides us. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. Right now with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Christy Abazade as she works to combat domestic and global terrorism and help keep our nation safe. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says how much God gives us is a matter of how much you can take. He'll make that point with the help of a great illustration as we spend two minutes with Tony. If you bring a thimble to the Pacific Ocean, you're going to only get a thimble worth of Pacific because that's all you brought. Now, the ocean can give you more, but your container can't handle more. If you bring a bucket to the Pacific, once that bucket is full, the blessing of the Pacific is over because you can't handle more. If you bring a tanker to the Pacific, You'll get more than a thimble, more than a bucket, more than a barrel, but you're not going to get more than that tanker because once that tanker is full, the Pacific is finished. Not because the Pacific can't do more, it's just you've reached your limit. See, a lot of us have to settle for thimble-sized 
blessing because we only bring thimble-sized relationships. So we wonder why God won't do more. He won't do more because you can't handle more because of what you brought to him, what you've given him. So if you're limited in seeing the supernatural, could it be what you're offering God can't handle what you're asking God for? You're asking him for a tanker when you bought him a thimble. That's what happens a lot of times. We want God to do this big stuff when we bring him a thimble worth of spirit and soul and relationship. But we want the big blessing. And God is saying, well, I got a Pacific here, but your container is too small. Discover ways to develop a more vital, intimate connection with the Lord. Check out Tony's CD series, Igniting Kingdom Prayer, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. American Family Radio. to join us and if you have a copy of the word of god you can turn there and find that nahum is a a prophet not well known and he is probably in an area of capernaum or southern judah there's uh two different thoughts on that but we know his his judgment was against the city of nineveh and his promise that god had give him was for the tribe and the nation of judah alex when we see chapter two uh, it is very powerful, and uh, verse I, I think chapter 2, verse 1 opens it up that way. He who scatters has come up before your face. Man the fort, watch the road, strengthen your flanks, fortify your power mightily. In other words, it's a call for battle. The Nineveh, get ready. The judgment is coming, and it's on its way. And you were talking about the flooding. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. The gates of the rivers are opened, and the palace is dissolved. Uh, they built a kind of a dam, uh, the Babylonians did, for the river, and he held it back for a while. Then they opened it up, and it flooded those walls that were so wide and so strong and so tall. But that water demolished it, and it cared for it. Now, what's amazing about this, this was spoken before it would ever happen. Not only did it tell they was going to be destroyed, but it tells them a little bit how they would be destroyed, Alex. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, I, I don't know if you could hear me. I was coming in on the intro about that phrase, dash. If you read in the Old Testament about things that are dashed on rocks or dashed to pieces, it's always about destruction. And um, the word is really scatters, scatters but um, Nahum had this vision he saw a mighty army coming against the city of Nineveh, and that's what 
exactly happened. But you know what? Look at verse 2. For the Lord hath turned away the excellency of Jacob as the excellency of Israel, for the emptiers have emptied them out and marred their vine. Now this thing about flooding and dashing and uh, loss of their excellency, this is judgment, isn't it? It's, it's judgment over the city of Nineveh. And look at those words in verse 2. The emptiers have emptied them out. Now what's happened? How, how Nineveh became rich was by going against a nation and cities and destroying it, taking out that which was valuable and bringing it to them. And they had done that over and over and over again. Now that emptiers have emptied them out, the same thing's going to happen to them. The thing they had been doing to others is now reversed on them. You know, it makes me think in a different way, but Galatians, about uh, one who has overtaken a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one, because guess what? One day you may be the one that needs to be restored. You, you catch? I know. I, I'm yeah. reversing uh, from a negative to a positive here, but isn't that really the way it usually is? What you live by, you die by? I know. I know. Well, you know what? Uh, a lot of times when uh, a city or a people are under judgment, there's the, this indication of chaos. And verse 3, the shield of his mighty men is made red. Well, red with blood. The chariots shall be with flaming torches in the day of his preparation, and the fir tree shall be terribly shaken. Now, boy, this sounds like Modern times, verse 4, the chariots shall rage in the streets. They shall jostle one against another in the broad ways. They shall seem like torches. They shall run like lightnings. Um, this is a scene of chaos, isn't it? Um, of I get the picture, Bert, of people like running for their lives, yeah. trying, to, trying to get to any kind of safety. Um, but Look, look down there, you mentioned the gates and rivers be opened and the palace shall be dissolved. I mean, this is really a prophecy of what Babylon to did, uh, did, you know, to get the place, you know, invaded. Huzab shall be led away captive. She shall be brought up and her maid shall lead her as with the voice of dove, doves. Um, all right, the, the women being led away and being taken captive uh, this is a, a place of great vulnerability for any people, isn't it? It is. Now, look at the first words in verse 7. This is pretty powerful. I don't think we need to ignore it. It is decreed. God has said this. In other words, this is futuristic. This is Nahum telling what's going to happen. It is decreed, and again, chaos, war, uh, they're being invaded and verse 8 makes it sure that word Nineveh has not been used yet, although they knew it. But now he uses the word Nineveh. Though Nineveh of old was like a pool of water, now they flee away, halt, halt, they cry. But no one turns back. And what happens? The spoilers, the Babylon, take their plunder. They take their silver. They take their gold. They take their treasure. And they take every prize. And notice how she's left, empty, desolate, and waste. Now, Alex, I, I, I want to spiritualize here. You know, you're the one that says, don't let me spiritualize too much, but let me take that prerogative this time. Is your That's life right. empty, desolate, waste? When you live your life the way Nineveh lived their lives, just for themselves, 
didn't matter who they hurt. It was all selfish, nothing for God, no recognition of the need of man. Empty, desolate waste is what he's waiting. That, that is a horrible commentary. That would be horrible to put on somebody's headstone at their death. They lived an empty, desolate, wasteful life. But if we were truthful, I'm afraid so many lives would be that way. And the reason I bring that up here on the radio right now is we don't want anybody listening to live that kind of life, Alex. We don't want them to live that life of, of emptiness. You remember what the writer of Ecclesiastes says? He tried it all, and he said until he turned to the Lord to keep his commandments and obey him, everything else he tried was empty. It's desolate. It's waste. Uh, that's a commentary yes. on a life, but it's horrible, a commentary on a nation like Assyria and a city like Nineveh. You know, one of the words, and uh, we're going to get into chapter 3 here in a minute, but Bert, um, think about the word presumption. You know, we presume things, and we assume things, and to think that we can make it without God. I think about the United States, our beloved nation, to think that we can live without moral boundaries. That's presumption, to, to think, well, you know, uh, other nations fall. I mean, all my life I've heard people talk about the Roman Empire. It wasn't really that Rome was conquered from without. They decayed from within. And we say, well, that wouldn't happen to us. Listen, it, it's foolish presumption to think that any nation could exist without morality, righteousness, God. Now, Nineveh, when you and I, I don't know, several years ago, we did a thing on the book of Jonah, and we did a really in-depth study of Jonah. And it was said that Nineveh, you know, in its day had been one of the mightiest cities on earth, had walls 100 feet high, uh, wide enough that two or three chariots could pass side by side. Imagine a a wall around your city that's like a two-lane road, and a moat 150 feet wide, and it was said Nineveh was a city that could withstand a 20-year battle. Now, if you can hold out for two decades during the course of a war, that's a pretty strong city. But to think that they could exist apart from the the preservation of God, that was presumption. And I, I think about America. The sooner we get back to God, Bert, you and I, we love these old preachers like Vance Havner and Oliver B. Green, and, you know, we, we name all these uh, guys from, you know, Mordecai Ham and the Trailblazers, J. Harold Smith, and you remember those names? Amen, brother. How Amen. would they be preaching if they were around today? They would be preaching the same way they did then, and it was that God is God is a God of mercy, but we will give an account of him one day as a person, as an individual, but as a nation. And as you said, Alex, this is nation. Uh, this was the nation of Assyria. They had had chances. They were. They heard the messages of God. At one time, they responded. A hundred years earlier, they responded. No more response. They went back to their ways of, of, of godliness, and, and that's the way they were living their lives. So he starts describing them in chapter 3. Notice what he says, woe to the bloody city. That's the first mm. thing he calls it, this bloody city. 
Uh, it's full of lies and robbery. Its victims never departs. Now, it's not talking about after the judgment. It's talking about their heritage. They they had blood on their hands. And you're talking about America. We're talking about abortion. We have blood on our hands. And, and, and so the noise of wealth, and it goes through. But listen to this in verse 4. Because of the multitude of the harlotries, of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries who sells nations through her harlotries, the families through her sorceries. Now, what they had, they worshiped a God, and it was the God of sexual uh, impurity, the God of uh, fertility, and that was their God, and they had all these rituals that were horrible and hideous. It was harlotry. And notice what it says in verse 5. I, behold, I am against you. Now, Alex the God of the universe saying, I am against you. And uh, the whole thing in verse 5 and 6, he says, I'm going to show the world how really you were so weak. You had nothing to offer. And then he goes on, verse 7, it shall come to pass that all who look upon you will flee from you and say, now listen to this, Nineveh is laid waste. And then here's this next statement. Who will bemoan her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? Nobody was sad that Nineveh was gone. Now, again, I want to spiritualize. Could that be said about a person? Could that be said about a country? No one is bemoaning her. No one will seek comfort. No one will give comfort because everybody's glad they're gone. That was Nineveh. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, if you read, and folks, I would encourage you, this is just a, a kind of a brief, you know, uh, one of the minor prophets, only three chapters, but you read Nahum chapter 3. I mean, you've got in this, the the one that's called the bloody city of this largest city in Assyria, which is Nineveh, the noise of a whip, the noise of rattling wheels, prancing horses, jumping chariots, uh, a multitude of slain carcasses, people stumble over the corpses. Okay, there's sexual immorality, witchcraft, materialism, violence, pride. And let me just say this reference just, and I won't belabor this point, Bert, but in verse 2, um, the sound of jumping chariots, just entertainment. I mean, here's the judgment of God coming. People are, so many corpses that we're tripping over them. And what are we doing? Well, I, I, I don't have time. I'm on my way to watch the jumping chariots. Just entertainment. And, um, Bert, do you remember uh, Judge Robert Bork that was at one time nominated to the U.S. Supreme Court? I sure he had do. a book yep. many years ago called Slouching Toward Gomorrah. That's right. And it was a book about the fact um, slouching, not good posture, Gomorrah, just decadence. And, you know, the word decadence, maybe it doesn't carry a lot of weight, but um, Nineveh was decadent, and mark it down, with, with sexual sin always comes occultic sin. The, the, all the cultures of history that have fallen, whether it be Egypt or Rome, Nineveh, and maybe even Europe and the Americas, when you've got no morals and you've got sexual license invariably creeping in will also be occult activity. But there is spiritual victory. Uh, any nation can turn to Christ and be saved. Our nation could. But, Bert, um, I love the USA. I love this nation. I grew up very patriotic. 
but we will be no different because God is a holy God. If we don't turn to the Lord, the same fate that countless other cultures have experienced, that will be our destruction and our fate as well if we don't turn to the Lord. Alex, well said. Look at verse 8 of chapter 3. I think it adds to what you said. said, O Nineveh, this is what happened to Thebes. Chapter 8, are you better than Thebes? That was the Egyptian (laughs) PowerPoint. They were situated on the river. They had waters around them. The sea protected them. They had everything, and they had alliances. Ethiopia, Egypt was their strength. Uh, They had helpers. She was carried away. She went into captivity. If If God could bring judgment on Thebes, he'll bring judgment on Nineveh. And so let's put it this way. If he brings that kind of judgment on Nineveh, he brings that kind of judgment on Thebes, on the on Sodom of Gomorrah, guess what? We're not exempt from that judgment is what Amen. we're saying, Alex. So what yeah. do you do? You get right with God. Verse 18, we're getting close to the end. I wanted to do this, and maybe this will help. It says, Syria, your shepherds slumber. Your nobles rest in dust. Your people are scattered to the mountains, and no one gathers them. Your injury has no healing. Your wound is severe. All who hear news of you will clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually? They had lived their life such a way that there was no one excited about them living. They were excited about their demise. Alex, that well, we don't need to live our lives that way. America doesn't need to be that way. Oh, I'm telling you, uh, it, it's sad if you've ever burnt in the ministry. Um, I, I would guess where you are, sometimes the, the funeral homes call you to do services for people, right? Yes, many times I've had to yeah, do that. Myself, yes. It's sad when there's nobody to mourn the passing of somebody, but that's what sin does. It separates you from God and even from man, too. 888-589-8840 is the phone number. We want you to call. Ask your question, your Bible question. We'd love to hear it today on Exploring the Word. So they asked me to enter my email address. And the next thing I know, I start getting emails from companies I never even knew existed. What's up with that? Here at the American Family Association, you have our word that we won't give away sell, or lease your email address to any other organization or company. We're thankful when you take the time to subscribe to AFA Action Alerts, One Million Moms, Engage Magazine, or any of our other online newsletters. Airing the Addisons. Sherry B. and J. Mack are on tap to help us navigate the show. Well, the great, where do we go next? All right, let's go to Brad in Arkansas. Hi, Brad. Good afternoon. I enjoy your show as always. Applying scripture to life. You can talk about anything that we have discussed this week or maybe something that you want to bring to our attention. If we don't know about it, we're just going to tell you we don't know about it. You know, and then you'll just have to, you know, judge me. I'm sorry. Barry <laughs> the Addisons. Weekdays at 2 Central on American Family Radio. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. My name is Abraham Hamilton III and this is the Hamilton Minute. According to the most recent reports provided by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, researchers looked at fertility rates for women of all age groups and ethnicities and found the nationwide rate was 16% lower than what is needed for a population to replace itself. 
there has been much discussion about the demographic winter in various European countries. Well, that demographic winter has reached the United States. The first command God gave mankind in Scripture was be fruitful. But man has the penchant to fancy his own ways over God's. Rejecting God's ways always carries severe consequences. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5 says, Love does not insist on its own way. Toddlers are not known for their generosity. A toddler's creed says something like, If I want it, it's mine. If I give it to you, but later I want it back, it's mine. If it's yours, but it looks like mine, it's mine. It's mine, and it will always be mine. Well, adults are more sophisticated, but we still often focus on my, my stuff, my way. That's not what love does. Love is willing to take a back seat to the other person's desires. It doesn't manipulate. It doesn't try to sweet talk its way into what it wants. Love doesn't insist on its own way. Love is not obsessed with I, my, me, mine. Love focuses on others and on Jesus. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fire. We've all run to things we know just ain't right. And there's a better life. There's a better life. You got paid. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. The Lord is good, and He knows those who trust in Him. That was Nahum 1.7. And we hope that vision of Nahum and judgment was sufficiently moving that you would want to turn to the Lord and put all your trust in Jesus Christ who loves you so. And Bert and I, it's our joy to be here on Exploring the Word and encourage well, hopefully encourage you, but we encourage each other, don't we, Bert? I think some days when you and me fellowship around the Word, I think we're encouraging each other, too. I I do agree, Alex, and you see some things. I said, man, I wish I'd have seen that. And, and, uh, and I, you, and I Yeah, and so that's why this program is different. It's not just one person, and the hope, Holy Spirit's guiding us all. I pray that. But it's a discussion. We hope it'll bless you and help you. We really do. Hey, we got We're phone calls. Go, you want to go to we, them? We do, and the number is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. And we're going to go first to Louisiana. Randy in Louisiana, thank you for holding and welcome. You're the first caller on the first day of the week of Exploring the Word. Well, thank you. Uh, the reason I called last week, you had a caller and said that we wouldn't be able to uh, be demon-possessed if we have Christ dwelling in our hearts. Well, we know that there was demon possession in the the Bible, and uh, I don't know if it's happening anymore. And if it is happening anymore, when did it, uh, you know, does it happen anymore? And if if not, when did it stop? Okay, Randy, thank you for that good question. Let me tell a story real quick. Uh, I had a physician friend, and this is several years ago, guys, and 
Uh, he was talking, and he was saying, have so many people coming to him with ailments. And he said, we can run tests. We can do blood work. We can do everything. And he said, when you get down to it, he says, I really do believe uh, it is men and women who have demon influence, if not, if not demon possession. And what we said, Randy, was that Christians can be influenced by Satan. He doesn't run off and leave us alone. If he tempted Jesus, who do we think we are that we won't be tempted? But he, he can't. if Jesus is on the throne, there's no room for demons to be on that throne. And so, mm-hmm. Alex, uh, I'm not sure. I don't believe demon possession has left. You, you know, I, I agree. Now, again, as we said last time, I don't think a born-again believer can be demon-possessed uh, because you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, I think Satan can try to discourage you and tempt you, but um, what would demon possession look like? You know, some of the—and and I think it's very, very rare— but there have been people that um, they blasphemed. They had this irrational aversion to going in church or a holy place. They curse. They seem to have supernatural knowledge that the victim couldn't know. I mean, I think there's some earmarks of demonic possession. And as I said, a, a Christian cannot be demon-possessed. But, Bert, I'm going to say this, and... Um, I think our culture, in many ways, is demonized. I think Satan is more influential than he's been in a long time, and I think there are a lot of people that, um, you know, imagine you've left your car windows down and a, and a storm comes and it starts to rain, and, and you think you say, well, the car is parked out there in the driveway, but it's just a rainstorm, and then to your horror, you realize, oh, no, the car windows are down. All that rain's coming in. See, here's the thing. If you don't have Jesus, if you've not built your life on the Word of God, if you if you don't know the Lord and you're indwelt and sealed and guided and protected, um, you're vulnerable to all the bad weather. And by that I mean the lies of the age, the, the sin, the darkness, and yes, the influence of Satan. So Bert, um, I we are still in a, in a world of spiritual battles, and I think people who aren't sealed up and weatherized by the Holy Spirit of the Lord, they're vulnerable. Don't you agree? I agree with you fully. Let me say this for all believers. Concentrate on the work of God, not on the works of Satan. Now, the Bible says don't be ignorant of it, but but listen, take it to Jesus. Walk in the Spirit. Uh, You know, fulfill the lust, not the lust of the flesh. Don't do that. Don't go that way. Study and concentrate and follow christ mm. alex uh we're we're not ignorant of his devices i understand that but uh you know don't dwell on satan's work dwell on what god has done amen many in ohio many thank you for holding welcome to the program thank you so much i have two questions um i have a family that all passed away all the aunts and uncles have passed away except for one set it's real hard for me. Uh, we moved to Ohio when I was seven from Missouri, and the kids never learned about the Lord. All the all the cousins have no knowledge of God. Um, my grandma, I guess, and her siblings, there was nine of them, they went to Catholic school, but from the way she talked, you'd never know it. 
And then on my mom, on my dad's side, my grandmother sent all her kids. But if you'd seen my dad, you wouldn't know that either. So uh, they, they, they neglected to teach it to their kids. So I want to figure out how to reach the kids that, that are left now um, to, for the Lord, because I think they all pretty well died lost, except for my grandparents. My grandmother on my one side and my great-grandma on the other side, I think they were saved, but the you know, to the best of their knowledge, they don't teach saved in, in Catholic school. But um, and then I, the second question I have is my cousin uh, from my mom's side. Her mom's sister, my mom's sister's her daughter. She lost a baby in the toilet. She said it was just a blob of tissue. Is that going to be a real baby, and will that be in heaven? Okay, Manny, thank you for your call, Alex. Let's answer the first one first as best we can. Uh, birth, we believe with all our hearts. Life begins at conception. Uh, the Bible's filled with that. Jeremiah, uh, talk what David said. Alex, John the Baptist, we do believe that. So those babies, the, I, all the evidence you have in the Bible is those babies go to heaven, don't they? They do. I absolutely do. You know, life begins at conception. Uh, you know, when, when a baby is conceived, that is a human life. And so, you know, um, stillborn babies or miscarriages, um, however a baby is lost before healthy delivery, that's very sad. I understand that. Uh, my wife is a nurse, and goodness, Angie has um, ministered to a lot of patients that um, lost babies. But birth, that child is in heaven, and that child is a person. But um, regarding your family... Uh, yeah, Proverbs thirteen twenty two says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Now, there's a lot the Bible says about the good man or the righteous man leaving an inheritance, and the, the Word of God is clear that the greatest inheritance, the greatest legacy, the greatest family treasure is a family built on the Word of God. You know, Bert, um, Proverbs 22.1 says a good name is to be desired more than great wealth. And the beautiful thing about this is that building a family on the foundation of Jesus can begin now, can begin today. Now, it can take a lot of prayer, um, and it can take a lot of influence. But, Bert, I would encourage this person, many from Ohio and anybody listening, um, the cycle of lostness can stop today, and the foundation of, of godliness in your family and your kids, grandkids, cousins, it can begin today. Bert, isn't it a wonderful thing when love of Jesus just pervades cousins, grandkids, aunts, uncles, everybody? There is something so wonderful about a family reunion when that family is Christian. It is. And, and it can begin with you today. It can, Mandy. Let me suggest two things. Pray for them. Don't stop. The power of prayer, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, righteous person, avails much. And you bombard heaven. Get some of those that are close to you. Pray for them and let it be known to those people. You don't have to let your cousins know that you're praying for them unless you feel led to the other remember this they shall see your good works and glorify your father who's in heaven live your yeah. life before them let them see christ in you uh you know we are the salt and 
that means it makes them thirsty. And so let your light so shine before men. And, and so many, live your life. If you have a, fa- a family gathering, be who you are in Christ. Don't be afraid to share Christ, what he's done for your life, how he's blessed you. And uh, so I would suggest that. And we're going to pray right now. Father, I pray for many that you would lead her. I pray, Father, for those cousins that she's referred to. God, right now, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would do that work in your life, in their hearts of conviction, of drawing them to you. Help many to be that person that would, would let her light shine before them, that they'd see Christ in her. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, what a great call. Okay, Ron in Tennessee, welcome to Exploring the Word. Yes, sir. Let me take you off speakerphone. Okay, how y'all doing today? Doing good, Ron. All right. I just I've been listening to your sto- your your show for a while, and I was uh, I was stationed in Mosul, Iraq, when I was in the army at uh, Five Diamond Back, and I was I seen the walls of Nineveh. And across the mm. across on the mountain, I seen the tomb of Jonah, and it was splendid. The tomb of Jonah was splendid, but ISIS took care of it. Well, what's amazing about Nineveh? It was not discovered until 1842. I did a little bit of research on this, Ron. I'm. Uh, it's not cause it's off the top of my head like it can be with Alex, because I have to research it. But it was discovered in 1842. They discovered those walls of Nineveh. They were covered up before then. They were not seen, and and they were. It was for generations, for thousands of years, uh, or hundreds of years, and then it was seen. And now it's there as a. I, I would agree with you. It's there as a testimony of of what could have been, but what was. Alex, Nineveh could have had a great future. But they blew it, didn't mm-hmm. they? Well, you know what? Um, I'm sure you've probably heard of the um, uh, William F. Albright and Nelson Gleck, G-L-E-U-C-K. They were two of the real pioneers in biblical archaeology. And uh, in one, one of the books about biblical archaeology, there was this quote I love. It says, With every turn of the ar- archaeologist's spade, another page of Scripture has been verified. And here we are, 150 years into the, the young science of archaeology, and over and over the biblical stories that were one time doubted have been confirmed and proven by archaeology. And, of course, the city of Nineveh is a great case in point, isn't it? It is. Thank you so much, Ron. I think we can get to Texas, which we love Texas. Robert in Texas, welcome to Exploring the Word. Uh, well, good evening, and thank you for taking my call. I appreciate it. Yeah, good to can have you, you. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, go right ahead, Robert. I just have a couple of questions. First, uh, in, in in book of Samuel, First uh, Samuel, I believe it's in uh, chapter 15 or 16, uh, when it says that the evil spirit went out from God um, for the Saul king, King Saul, and he attacked David, how is that possible that evil spirit could go out of God, uh, go out from God? And that's number one. And number uh, two question is, 
in Revelation uh, when it says that, you know, and Satan will be released for a thousand years. Uh, why is that? Why will be released? I, I just always had a question regarding that, if you could mm. help me with that. Don't have a lot of time. That thousand years he's going to be released because for a thousand years he's kept he's kept at bay. But there's people that's been born during that thousand years, and they will be tested. So he's released those that believe that were born in this utopia, this perfect state. They will have to come, and Satan is released so that I guess Alex, you would say they have to make their choice: follow Christ or self. I know that's going to be the case. Go ahead. Yes. What about the evil spirit? Try to get to that as well. Well, in the First Samuel 16 passage, uh, 14 through 16, um, God allowed a lot of things to happen in the life of Saul, but here's what it says. It said, The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Now, we know God is not evil and there's no unrighteousness in God, but if you look at 1 Samuel 18, verse 10, it says, Now it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul, and he raved in the midst of the house. Now, here's the thing. Um, maybe it was a demon that was wanting to wreak havoc. See, Satan had tempted Saul to do some sinful things, and God, even now, Bert, I think God, to a greater de degree than we realize, God restrains evil. Amen. Um, and so what God did, it, what it really means is, I'll, and I'll, although I'll grant you that the English rendering doesn't fully do this justice, but when we get away from God, we ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit, God allowed. That's it some darkness to come upon Saul. But it, but it's Saul's fault, and I'll tell you why. Because he resisted the leading of the Holy Spirit. He fell under the sway of an evil spirit. He did, and listen, again, let's take it for ourselves. Trust Christ. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week, but today. You want to get right with God and do it now. We pray that you would. Ask Christ to be Lord of your life. Walk in the Spirit. And Alex, uh, it's been good to look at Nahum today. Absolutely, folks. We're going to be back again tomorrow. We hope you'll tune in tomorrow for more of Exploring the Word, where we look at the Word of God. Tell somebody about Exploring the Word, but most of all, tell everybody about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.